We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, going to focus on verses 3 through 6 today. Um, But why don't we stand together, we'll read 1 through 6, just to get some context and get started. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray. God of the word, we hear from you this morning that there is a fleshly nature, a fleshly walk, fleshly tendencies, and there is the spiritual realm, the spiritual forces. You are a God who is spirit. You have created a realm where there are spirits of angels who follow and serve you and minister to the saints and there are angels of darkness who are out to bring destruction and advance the enemy's agenda and oh God today as we come to this text we we need some serious readjusting of our methods and of our habits and of our the things that we rely upon, God, even today, I'm just, I feel a battle within me and, and just there's, there's something that's causing an uneasiness in me where I'm, I'm aware of the flesh and I'm tempted to be walking in the flesh and, and yet I'm aware of the greater and the better, the, the life of the spirit. And so God, would you just work in us uh, just the wonderful disciplines of sowing to the Spirit, of walking in the Spirit, warring according to the Spirit. And we thank you, God, chiefly that you did not leave us as orphans, but you sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to be upon us and to empower us and to give us the victory. Let all of this be for your glory and for the furtherance of your name among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. And as we've been studying 2 Corinthians, we know that um, there's been, thank you, some interesting relationship struggles between Paul and the church that he founded in 1 Corinthians chapter 18. Um, They have had their honeymoon stage in the past, and then they've had false teachers come in. They've had people come in who have questioned Paul's apostleship, questioned Paul's authority, really um, challenged Paul to his face. There have been tough meetings. 
tough face-to-face conversations, hard letters that have gone out. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, you definitely see the evidence that all of that has happened. And Paul spends a lot of time defending his apostleship, uh, defending his authority, speaking to the church in Corinth that they shouldn't be listening to or following after these fleshly philosophical men who peddle the gospel and are counter-gospel, but rather to, to follow him, an apostle who Jesus has ordained, an apostle whose life and ministry are validated by his suffering and by the power of the Holy Spirit upon his life. And it's been said that chapter 10 is kind of this shift where Paul stops addressing the precious children of the Corinthian church, and he begins to very pointedly speak Uh, with authority towards the men in Corinth who are causing some division. And so as we get to verses 3 and through 5 of this chapter, um, it's tempting to kind of divorce it from its context. Uh, And there are great truths in just taking verses 2 and 3, or or 3 through 5 rather, and say, yeah, you know, uh, life isn't about the flesh. It's not about battling just according to the flesh. There's a a battle of the spirit, and, you know, man, we need to be warring according to the spirit. And and honestly, that's the launching pad that we're going to take this morning. We're going to take that spiritual truth and go to a counter passage of Ephesians chapter 6 to see that truth that's very relevant for us today, And yet, as we get started, we don't want to divorce this truth from the context here that Paul's got some real jerks that he's dealing with. And they're saying, oh, he's awful bold in his letters to us, but when he's face-to-face with us, he's a little, you know, hunchback guy with a hooked nose and a screechy voice, and he's not very powerful when he's with us. So who do you guys want to follow? And Paul says in these first couple verses, you want to see tough? I'll show you tough. I have the Holy Spirit ordained authority of an apostle on my life. And when we get to chapter 13, he's going to say, I am going to be severe with you guys. Okay? And so come on out to Wednesday nights. And as we walk through the whole chapters, uh, we see a lot more of the context, um, a lot more of what's going on in this 2 Corinthians stuff. It's been very helpful for a crew that have been coming out who are wanting to walk in the ministries that God's called them to. And every one of you are called to ministry. So Wednesday nights have been kind of like a school of ministry going on where we're getting into, there's tough stuff that goes on in the church a lot of times. And Paul knows that, and Paul talks about that. But I've felt, you know, in studying this, that the Lord does want to speak to us about this Christian walk that we have. And every Christian has a walk. Uh, we walk in the, in, the, in the spirit, and at the same time, we are men and women of flesh and bone, and we've got this stuff that's going on around us. And in that walk, we are learning to walk with Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. Every Christian has a walk. But it is also an equally true that every Christian has a war. The Christian life is marked by suffering. The Christian life is marked by a battle. The Christian life is marked by these spiritual forces and principalities and powers in the heavenly places that are against us as we are for Jesus. Every Christian has a walk. 
But every Christian also has a war. And just so aware in the last few days that I've been studying this that I get, Johnny was talking during worship, we just forget that God's real. You know, and we forget that the war is real. And we go about day after day after day and we get, you know, oh, you know, kid just spilled his Cheerio bowl with the milk. And all of a sudden I'm just thinking about the flesh here, you know, and this, you know, this and that and, you know, the bills and the papers and the calls. And it's just, it just consumes us with the flesh. And just daily we need to be reminded it's not happening here, you know, it's happening there. That's, that's really where it's happening. Every Christian has a walk day by day, but every Christian has a war. And I was reminded of that is the case when you know Israel and even their modern day history, every citizen of Israel has a regular life, has a regular walk. But it's interesting that every citizen in Israel is also required to serve in their military. And so when you go over there and you're visiting Israel, you see young men, young women, and they are all in their, you know, olive drab, and they've got their M16s. And they're cruising around Jerusalem with these guns, like it's out there, you know, gun control. There's a lot less public shootings that are going on. That is not at all what I want to talk about today. We're actually going to get into that in a second. Because homeboy over here, you know, Joshua has got his M16, you know. I'm not going to go crazy here. He's got his M16. Anyways, but you also see, you know, you see the Ruths. You see the gals with their M16s. Everyone is serving. And after they spend their four years in their military, then they go back every four years. For like the rest of their life, you know, they're serving in some capacity in the military. Every every Israelite has their walk, has their business, has their life, but they also have their war. And that's true with every Christian. And it's true for us that even though we walk day by day in the flesh, Paul is very real, like, it's true. My posture's bad. It's true. My nose is hooked. It's true. My physical presence among you is nothing to be desired. And history tells us that about Paul. And I do. I walk this, living this life in the, in the nature here. But I do not war according to the flesh. I'm not going to war against you Corinthians in the flesh. Nor do we war in the spiritual realm according to the flesh. This is very helpful for us in light of current events. I uh, had Josh Bryant, a dear friend of mine, visit this week. He was over for the wrestling uh, meet here at the middle school. And uh, he's the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Burns. And, and you can imagine what the last two months have been like for him and his body. But in it all, the Lord has continually kept before him I do not preach the United States of America. I preach the kingdom of God. We are going to camp out in Matthew where we are reminded that Jesus is king. And he's a cowboy, and he has a ministry to the buckaroos, but he also has a ministry to the women who work at the BLM that go to his fellowship. And he has a ministry to a friend of mine named Eric, who's a state trooper that goes to his fellowship. He has a ministry to to the community that's hurting and broken and divided. 
And he would go out there to the refuge, and he would meet with Lavoy Finnekim, and he would meet with the Bundys, and he would hear from them, tell me what you're talking about. And he would say, you know what, there's so much good stuff, and there's so much love in so much of these guys, and there's good, there's good stuff there. But I'm also talking, and I'm meeting with my sister over here who, who works for the federal government. And he's like, and you know what, I can't take a side. I'm just coming back to, it's not about what's going on in the flesh here. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's a really cool story that Josh told me, is that the Sunday before Lavoy Finnegan was shot and killed, he showed up at Calvary Chapel Burns. And Josh preached the kingdom of Jesus, and he preached the gospel. And even though Lavoy has a Mormon background, he came up to Josh after, and he said, everything that you're telling me is you're laying it out in the Bible. It's, it's right. What you're telling me is right. And in that service, there were the people that worked for the Forest Service and for the BLM and the state trooper, and, and, and there was Lavoy. And it was so encouraging to hear that, you know, a matter of days later as he was shot and killed, that he heard the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus preached in truth. And all that to be said is, there are battles that are going on. And our battle is not against militia. A little bit of my history, I'm from a cattle ranch in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and we had the Montana militia come to our ranch, and we had a standoff against the sheriffs. Okay. It wasn't right. But anyways, <laughs> anywho, like I've been there. And, and our battle isn't for the militia, nor is it against the militia. And our battle is not for the federal government, nor is it against the federal government. And our battle is not uh, against the Democrats and against Hillary Clinton and against socialist Bernie Sanders. And it's not against Donald Trump, who is a wicked man who is living for this world. And our battle's not against other deceitful politicians. That's not our battle. It's so frustrating. It's true. And it's easy to just have a pity party, pity party and just talk about how there's no one to vote for this year. Well, guys, get your eyes off of that. Because the battle isn't against that. The battle is against principalities and powers. And the battle is with the God who raises up kings and sets down kings. And he is the one that determines the boundaries of our nations. He is the one that is doing it. Our job is to pray for kings and governing authorities and to chiefly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is good to read your constitution. I've done that this week. It is good to read the history. It is good to study the founding fathers. That is good. But what is great is holding and clinging to Jesus Christ. In truth. In righteousness. We cannot take the word of God and conform it to our political opinions. I'm going to take my Bible, and I'm going to take my Constitution, and I'm going to lay it on top of, of the Bible, and I'm going to, you know, okay, now, you know, I'm going to read the Constitution as if it is the inspired, divinely breathed out Word of God. It's not. It's not on the same plane as the Bible. Good stuff in there, wonderful stuff, inspired by Judeo-Christian ethics, things like that, wonderful 
But as we go to the Constitution, as we go to the voting polls, those are not the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare are prayer and fasting and saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And if getting Hillary Clinton in office is going to further up that, then bring in Hillary. Getting Sanders in there, getting Trump in there, getting Cruz in there, whoever it is, Lord, but if however your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, you do that, God. And we sit here like Habakkuk and go, Lord, do you not see the debates? Lord, do you not see the roadblocks? And the Lord says what? The just shall live by faith. I'm going to do a work in your days. You won't believe it if I tell it to you. You're going to work through Hillary. Don't you know she deleted the emails? She deleted the emails. <laughs> but I'm going to do a work in your days that when you hear of it, your ears are going to tingle. You won't believe that that's how I'm working. And you remember, as smart as you think you are, with your Google and your smartphone. And information at your fingertip, you got nothing on me. The just shall live by faith. How are you going to battle this? We've been given wonderful tools. We've been given due processes. We've been given the right to free speech. We've been given, we can go out and we can pick it and we can protest and those are good things. But if you go and do that without hitting the deck in prayer, it's going to be worthless. You're going to be a sounding brass, a noisy gong. Your little comments as you're weighing in on Facebook are going to sound hateful and brash and resentful. No one's going to hear you anyways. You say, seek first the kingdom. You move in prayer. You fast for your country. Battle's not against flesh and blood. We walk according to the flesh. We see it every day. It's in front of us. But, oh, Lord, we need to be reminded that the, that the, the battle is spiritual. And we have special weaponry that we've been given that we're to fight. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, verse 18 of 1 Timothy that he needed to wage the good warfare. Fight the fight. I fought the fight, Timothy. And you need to wage the good warfare. And you wage the good warfare by using the spiritual weaponry. As verse 4 tells us, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now Ephesians nearly echoes this in chapter 6, and I want you to actually flip over there in your Bibles and look at verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. These weapons of the Lord that are mighty in God, the translation is literally, they are mighty for God. God finds them mighty. God finds them as a powerful resources. And so as we 
go towards this battle, we're to be strong in him and in the power of his might and in the tools and weaponry that he finds powerful and mighty in God to do the tasks that 2 Corinthians 10 says they do. And part of this strength in the Lord is that we would put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, we know that we have uh, armor and we know that we have weaponry, but what is it exactly? And being a little bit of like the military history buff that I am, and we've all kind of seen the shows or whatever where someone goes to a military armory you know, and they flip the light switch on and it kind of, all the lights come in on stages in this giant room. It's all ching, 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 ching. And you know, what do you see? You see tanks in this giant room. You see, uh, you know, body armor and Kevlar and, you know, you see all this armor and you see the M16s and you see the M4s and you see the bazookas and you see the claymore mines and you see the grenades, you see the pistols, Ah, you know, and that is what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 6 is he flips the light on for us so that we can get some confidence and understand that we have an armory that includes armor and offensive weapons and we need to use it. Don't go into battle with the padlock on the armory and all the weapons locked inside of it. Go into this life with this weaponry that he's given us. Put it on. Don't just know about it, but put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. And, and, man, I need to humble myself and I need to repent because as a child I would grow up and my mother ingrained this verse into us as children. And every day on the way to town, on the way to school, on the way to church, we would be in the van and we would put the armor on as a family. And as a kid, in my pride and in my I know better than you, I hated that time. It was frustrating. 90, 90% of the time, you know. And, and you know, we put on the helmet of salvation. We'd start from the top and go down, you know. Put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. The belt, we get a rhythm. The belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And, you know, oh, in the van, you know, just... You know, and that's reflected into my life now. Even now, I don't want to do that. And just didn't do it today. But as I was studying, <laughs> like, man, I want to go up right now and I want to get the kids out. We're putting on the armor. But we had hair to do. So we didn't. And you wonder why I was so, like, in the flesh this morning. But (laughs) put it on. Will you stinking humble yourself and do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do here? Before you go to work and you know what's waiting for you at work, before the temptations start hitting you and you know they're coming and you hope maybe today you'll stand strong through it before the conversations with those people that are abrasive to you, before, you know, going and, 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 and 
trying to serve your family, will you do it? Man, I, I'm, I'm just like, I haven't done it yet today. But I just, man, I need to put it on my mirror in my bathroom. Put the armor on. I got to put it on my, my phone and have like a picture of armor or something. Like, I got to remember that he's given us this, this armory. And he, it's imperative that we put it on. Of course, Ephesians, all this imperative comes after the gospel stuff. The good stuff of how we've been redeemed from being children of wrath. And he has pursued us and purchased us. And he's taken us from the state of being death. And he's raised us up and he's seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And because now we are children of God, born again and put in heavenly places, we are so frustrating to the devil. That is so frustrating to the devil. So he attacks us and he pokes and prods at us where he knows it's going to affect us. And that's actually something that should be encouraged to us to show us that we're saved because he doesn't care about the people that don't want to serve him and don't want to do anything for him and just want to go through life sitting in front of the TV. He wants to go after the people that are zealous for the advancement of the kingdom of God and are going to bring about his demise tomorrow. And so he goes after you. And so God awaken us to this struggle in the heavenlies that he is an aggressive Little dirtbag devil. And just as in Revelation chapter 13, the tribulation turns into the great tribulation because he knows he has little time. We're living in the day of the Lord now. We're not there yet, but he still knows he has little time and he's trying to frustrate the plan of Jesus. So put on the armor of God so that we have defense and so that we have offense against him, so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, Ephesians 6, 11 says. He's, he's like the wily coyote. He's got all sorts of plans, and he's you know, hopping out on the little short, narrow path, and he's putting dynamite and anvils and traps, and he's trying to snare us. But we can be strong and powerful against the wiles of the devil, because in all this, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against that person and their mean face and the things that they're posting about us and the things that they're spreading rumors about us. And we're not wrestling against, uh, you know, the temptations that are right in front of us. That's not where it is. Not wrestling against the political situations that are out there, the flesh and the blood stuff, but against principalities. This speaks of kingdom stuff that's going on. Not only a kingdom of God stuff, but kingdom of darkness and kingdom of the wicked one. There are princes, as we're going to read in a little bit in Daniel chapter 10, there are princes and powers of darkness. And they have got strategic battle plans against us. They are rulers of wickedness and darkness. And they are in those heavenly places. You know, on, on one end, we, we turn into Frank Peretti and we start reading novels about devils and demons and angels sitting on rafters watching us and <laughs> so that we can't take the garbage out at night when it's dark because we're scared of what's hiding behind the garbage can, hypothetically. <laughs> and on the other end of things, we don't care, we don't think about it, we ignore it. There's no devil, there's no angels. Like, what are you, a Sadducee? There's devils and there's angels and there's demons and there's a battle. But he was in you is greater than he who's in the world. And so be aware and be on strat strategic, uh, the battle plan that God has for us. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. And so we have four times the word stand. Stand, 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 stand. It's through the grace of God, as Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 say, that we are justified freely by his grace. And that he has brought us and caused us to stand with confidence in the presence of God. And it's only when we've been saved by the grace of Jesus, been washed by his blood, been declared innocent in the throne room of heaven, that we are able to stand in the presence of God without shame, without you know being hampered by past sin. He's dealt with that. He's taken care of it. We're innocent. We stand in the presence of God, and now we can stand in the presence of the wicked one and the forces of darkness. With that being known, stand in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he says, stand, and then he goes through, stand with stability and put on the armor. In verse 14, gird your waist with truth, or put on the belt of truth. We don't stand unless we stand in truth, unless we stand upon the authoritative, inspired, God-breathed, without error, word of God. It's provable, it's proved, it's tried, it's true, historically, in the manuscripts, in the documents, Archaeologically, it's been proven to be true. Prophetically, it's proven to be true. Geographically, it's proven to be true. It has what no other book has. And because we have it, we can stand with confidence in the truth. It is profitable for doctrine or truth, Paul tells Timothy. And in it, we have the Messiah revealed to us who says, I am the way, the truth, the Life. We are girded up and made ready. That's what girding speaks of with the belt of truth. We can stand on the truth. Now, it's interesting. The belt is kind of what holds everything else together. It's by the belt that the sword is hung and the scabbard. It's on the belt that the breastplate is connected and made sure and strong. This kind of holds these other very important things together. The truth is what holds these things together. Gird yourself with truth. And so in the morning, we don't say the armor to be religious and to get it done. We put on the armor because in its foundations are that truth. Truth. I want to live my life according to truth today. You are the truth. What you've done is truth. You've revealed yourself to us in truth. I go out into the battlefield with truth on my side and with truth in hand and truth on my mind. I have girded myself this morning with the truth. Put on the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The opposite of righteousness is wickedness and guiltiness. It speaks of purity. It, it speaks of a piece of armor that guards our most important organs. It speaks of something that guards our heart. 
the inner man. It guards our lungs, our source of life. Oh Lord God, put on me not wickedness today. Put on me your righteousness and protect my heart with your righteousness. Keep me pure before you. So that I can stand, so that I can be like a Daniel who purposed in his heart, Daniel 1.8, not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. So that I can be like a Joseph who, because he was standing on the inside, he ran away when Potiphar's wife made advances at him. I want to be like those men who stood and ran because they had the breastplate of righteousness. Part of our armor is that we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And man, isn't that just a fitting piece of the armor for what its description is? Because what are we supposed to do with the gospel? We're supposed to go. We're supposed to move. How beautiful, Romans chapter 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful upon the mountains, it's a quote from Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who move the gospel around. You know, Josephus writes about how the other armies would have very intricately designed shoes that would have just severe nails coming out of them and, you know, provided good traction most of the time but would often just wear down very easily. But the Romans had more just like a flat-footed sandal on, and they were able to be fast, and they were able to advance upon the enemy quickly and surprise them. The enemy thought, well, we're stopped as an army to fix our shoes up, and the Romans have got to be, you know, know, this many miles away. And the Romans would jump on them and pounce on them because they didn't have to stop to do the footwork. They were ready They had prepared their feet. And how wonderful is it that part of our armor is that we take the gospel out. That's part of the warfare. In fact, down in verse 17 of this Ephesians 6 text, I'm sorry, it's verse uh, 19, part of the armor, he says, pray for me that I would speak and open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. It's in the same section. Part of the armor is having our feet prepared to go out and tell the gospel. And part of our armor is opening up our mouth and speaking the gospel. That's part of the battle plan. There's so much darkness out there. And the Democrats and the Republicans. and the We are so mad at the darkness. But the problem is we aren't being the light. We're not being the light of the world that pushes away the darkness. We're not opening up our mouths to tell our neighbor the beautiful truth of the gospel of peace. Put your shoes on. Verse 15, or verse 16. Above all, of course, this this encompasses it all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield was a full body shield. The soldiers would often have multiple shields, but the language here is this full body shield. It was the size of a door, and it would protect you from head to toe. 
And he says that this is above all. This kind of encompasses everything. And that is true about what faith does in our life. And when we're weak in faith, then we say as the disciples, Lord, increase my faith. When we're weak in faith, we say as the man with the sick son, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, we have no breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel of peace. These things are spread through the conduit of faith. And without it, the enemy shoots his arrows and his darts at us and they penetrate in all of these vital areas. Verse 17, we take the helmet of salvation. Where does the Lord attack us? Uh, I'm sorry, not the Lord. Where does the wicked one attack us? He attacks us in our mind. And almost every commentator that you read, he refers this to how the enemy wants to condemn us. It's called the helmet of salvation. The Lord wants us to remember, hey, I have saved you. Hey, I am saving you. Hey, I will save you. The three tenses of our salvation. And as we're living the Christian life, the enemy comes and he says, you know what you did. You know what you did. Why are you here worshiping? You know what you did. Why would you open your mouth and share the gospel? It's ineffective. You know what you did. Why would you even try to live for the Lord? It's obvious that, you, you know, and he just condemns us. And then it's through the helmet of salvation that we say, guess what? Get behind me, Satan. Because the scriptures tell me, the belt of truth tells me, the sword of the spirit tells me that I've been saved and being saved and will be saved. So get behind me. And as First John tells us, if our heart condemns us and tells us we're not saved, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. He will bring the encouragement that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The helmet of salvation, put it on. He goes on to speak of the sword of the spirit. And it's here that he gets out of the defensive weapons and he speaks of the uh, offensive weapons. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes back in his second coming, it says that he has a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And with it, he smites the enemies of wickedness. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. That's the offensive weapon that in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus combated the devil, the wicked one. As he said in Matthew chapter 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread. That's my phone. That means stop talking is what that means. Jesus' offensive weapon is The word of God, it is written. Well, guess what the devil's offensive weapon is? The word of God. But it's out of context. And listening to the refuge surrender or the guys turning themselves in, there was a lot of neat gospel that was shared. And through many, there was a whole lot of Bible verses thrown out with no context to them that had nothing to do with what these people were sharing. The enemy wants to use the word of God to deceive us, and so we must know the word of God. It's been said that within the the treasury department of the United States, 
that men are trained to do nothing but feel correct bills. And they feel and they know and they, they can just tell by the, te- by the feel what is a correct bill. So that when a counterfeit comes along, they just feel it and they go, this is fake, this isn't real. Know the truth so that when the false comes along, you're able to put it to death. Know the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the offensive weapon. But another offensive weapon is found in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. One of our offensive weapons we do battle with is praying, not only praying, but praying in the spirit, not only praying in the spirit, but praying in the spirit with watchfulness. As Colossians says, being vigilant in prayer with thanksgiving. The word vigilant means that we are open-eyed in our prayers. We know what's going on. And we're praying in the spirit and according to the spirit with prayer and supplication. In verse 19, the final offensive weapon that we already touched on, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth. The gospel, an offensive tool. Put on the armor of God that you would be able to stand against the devil Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and why don't you guys go ahead and flip back there. 2 All of these weapons and tools that we've looked at, we see that they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. In Joshua's case, a carnal weapon and a carnal battle plan would have said, build siege mounds against Jericho, throw catapults of fiery bombs at it, you know, blow that wall up and go up through the middle. But as he's running through the wilderness and the angel of the Lord stands before him, Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And what does the angel say? No. So you're. Said, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army here. I'm not Democrat, not Republican, I'm not American. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And here's my battle plan. It's a spiritual battle plan. You walk around this this many number of times and this many number of days, and then you give a shout out of praise to me, and those walls will come tumbling down. That's a spiritual battle plan versus a carnal battle plan. With the mighty weapons of the Lord, strongholds come down. And with that, verse 5, arguments are cast down. As James chapter 4 tells us, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? There are arguments, there are fights at home with our kids, with our spouses, with our friends, with our community. Where does all this come from? Me, 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 I, 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 me, I, me. Me. Number one. And whenever we're looking out for number one, we're going to fight with everybody else. And so when we do spiritual warfare, the weapons of the Lord put us in our place in humility. They cast down arguments that promote self. And they cast down every high thing 
that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Whether it's Lucifer, who in Isaiah was cast down from heaven because he wanted to exalt himself above God and be worshipped as God, cast down. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, who wanted to be worshipped and had people bow down to an image of himself. And in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's looking around at the gardens of Babylon and he says, look what I've done for myself. And the Lord says, because you're so prideful and you exalt yourself against me, I'm going to make you get down on all fours. You're going to grow hair like a bunch of wet feathers on your back. Your fingernails are going to grow out like eagle claws. You're going to eat um, grass like an ox for something like four years. And at the end of four years, Nebuchadnezzar says, there is one God, and the whole world should worship him. Or as his predecessor, Darius, taking these stolen articles out of the temple, party and hearty with them, exalting himself above the Lord, the handwriting on the wall says, you have been measured and weighed, and buddy, you have been found wanting. You're going down to Chinatown. And that night, the Persians invade and take over the kingdom. And Darius is killed. Whether it's kings, like King Herod in Acts chapter 12, where he's standing before the other governors of the area, and he's wearing royal apparel, and history says that the sun is hitting this literally silver apparel. So he's shining, and as he's speaking, the people from the other countries say, Herod, you speak with the voice of a god and not of man. And he says, why, yes, I am, don't I? I'm pretty awesome. So an angel smacks him in the head, he falls down, and worms eat him and consume him so that he dies. Whenever we, or a king, or an angel, exalt themselves in the place of God, he will tear them down with the weapons of warfare that are not carnal. He does that to the Antichrist, and he'll do that to us if we too go in the place of Christ. And closing out, our weaponry brings every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Lustful thoughts, hateful thoughts, bitter thoughts, angry thoughts, fearful thoughts. The weapons of our warfare, put them in their place. Kind of think of when I'm coaching Little League and, you know, we're hitting those balls out there and they're just all over the field and I say, go get the balls and they all go run and get them and they put them in their place. That's what the Lord desires for us to do with these thoughts that we have. We bring them up and we line them under the word of God. We renew our mind, Romans chapter 12 says. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. With our mind, we bring every thought into captivity and say, let's weigh it according to the word. And if it doesn't line up, it's out of here. You don't do that by carnal, fleshly means. You do that by the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and the shield of faith. You do that through 
continual, spirit-filled, watchful prayer. And you do that by preaching the gospel. And so for those of you that have all those thoughts that are going out there, lusts that are ruling in your heart, anger that's ruling in your heart, bitterness that's ruling in your heart, all of those things, put the armor on. Spend time in the word. Spend time in spirit-filled, continual, earnest prayer. Spend time preaching the gospel. And those things will find their place. Let's pray and let's have the worship team come forward.